Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. My name is Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And we thank you for joining us for this week's episode um, on this topic of Christian hope. And uh, during the episode, we'll be focusing particularly on what it means to be a Reformed Christian and how that connects to being a hopeful Christian, somebody with hmm. a, um, a positive outlook um, either in the near term or certainly in the long term of what God will do in the world, of what God will do for us. And uh, we'll think particularly about the Reformed connection to that because I would guess uh, Reformed types are often known as serious people, um, <laughs> maybe even a little bit somber or dour at times because of uh, you know, our reputation of holding to the doctrine of total depravity and of the, the great sinfulness of um, humanity. And so somebody who only knows that about Calvinism would maybe be a little bit surprised that uh, Reformed theologians and Reformed preachers can often cover this topic of hope, to me, uh, from my perspective, in a fuller and more productive and more invigorating way than non-Reformed authors can cover it. And so um, we hope to dispel the myth of the overly somber Reformed theologian or Reformed pastor during this episode and say <laughs> that Reformed theology actually leads one into a, a huge amount of this blessing of hope. Yeah, this is sort of a follow-up follow up in many mm -hmm. ways to an episode we did several months ago on joy, mm -hmm. uh, but also one we did more recently, episode 72, where we talked about how everybody is a theologian, uh, every Christian, especially uh, if you claim to know Christ in any way, you are by definition a theologian. Uh, and so what we're going to be hopefully getting at here, hopefully, that's yep. ironic that I said that, <laughs> uh, is talking about how a good theology should naturally lead us um, to to hope, to being hopeful people. Not because uh, hope is something that we are aiming to arrive at per se. Uh, I think what we're going to be trying to explain here is how hope is very much uh, a byproduct uh, mm -hmm. um, of knowing God, of knowing who he is and all that he has done, all that he is doing and all that he will do. Hope mm -hmm. springs eternal for the Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is not because we are just trying to be uh, blind optimists uh, who just love to be happy-go-lucky all the time, or we love to uh, deny reality. No, in, in fact, the Christian message faces reality even as painful as it can be and looks it straight in the eye and is still hopeful. Mm -hmm. Um not because, um, not because everything is just going great in the here and now, but because things are in God's hands, yep. and that does lead to a profound sense of hope. Um, and so, I'll actually start with yep. a passage from from First Peter. Um, it's the beginning of his letter, of Peter's letter to the Jews in the uh, diaspora. 
Um, and he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hmm. That, I think, is a profound passage about what it means to be born again. To be born again means to be born again to a living hope. Uh, and that living hope is, as I said, a byproduct of our, of our, uh, of our faith in Christ, of our being born again, of the resurrection, and that, yeah, yeah and that hope, the content of that hope is all the things that it says through here in, in this passage: the resurrection uh, from the body, an inheritance that is unperishable, mm-hmm. kept in heaven, uh, we're being guarded uh, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed. Um, and he, all of this, he says in verse six and, and following, that we rejoice even now for a little while, if necessary, through the various trials that we face mm-hmm. in this life. And so Peter is a realist, and even still, he is hopeful. And that is the interesting point I think we'll get at as we unpack this episode. Yeah, Rod Dreher is a an author has written the benedict option and um a, some a handful of other books analyzing cultural trends and often prescribing certain responses for the church as we look at particularly in american or the western world a lot of increasing opposition to the church and in an interview, I think it was on the mortification of spin, might have been on mere fidelity, can't remember exactly, but I know Rod Dreher said it. Um, he was asked about his his outlook on the church because he's often writing about just honestly how bad things are culturally around us. Hmm. And he said, no, I'm hopeful, but I'm not an optimist. And he said, evangelical people, um, Christians, need to sift between those two definitions. He he says optimism is just believing life is grand, uh, life is good. It's it's a little bit of a turning a blind eye towards some of the bad things that and we things face. things are bound to go well all right, the time. Right, and, um, and he says that's not really what God promises, but what God does provide for us is hopefulness. And so that is... Um, sort of an eschatological optimism, you might say, mm-hmm. instead of just one that is here yeah. and now, and I've got a. In order for me to be happy, I need to look away from bad things, which is kind of the blind optimist. That's what he's arguing against. The Christian can have hope and have uh, like a joy and a peace, uh, a confidence in God, um, and and that's what hope looks like, even when. Uh, as the hymn goes, all around my soul gives way, right? He then is all my hope and stay. And so uh, that's what First Peter was getting at as well, where uh, he starts by saying, you have a, a living hope through the resurrection. But then right away after that, he's like, but you're suffering, and things are, are not going that great for you. Hmm. Yet, yeah. even still, we know that Christ is on his throne. He is risen. 
uh, he's, he's providing for us all kinds of blessings, including an inexpressible and glorious joy that's kept in heaven. And so um, it is looking forward with confidence and assurance, but it's not the, the cheap optimism that, quite frankly, a lot of evangelical churches sell and um, they, they sort of peddle it as Christian hope, but Christian hope looks at real circumstances. Yeah. I think I've noticed this in watching services of other churches, particularly churches that are rather large, fairly Pentecostal or charismatic, uh, sort of megachurch sort of uh, congregations. And you can tell that they are abounding in optimism. That much mm. is true. And, and you could say in hope. Um, their optimism is is brought on, I think, often by the sense that they are being so successful that the church, because mm. that their success as a church, getting thousands of people to come, uh, means that the culture is changing, the world is changing, we're sort of taking back the world for mm. God. Uh, so it's just very sort of triumphalistic optimism. Um Mm. which is not not necessarily the way of, of Christianity per se. Um, would I be overjoyed if our world uh, began in some ways to return to to Christianity? Yes. Mm. Um, but to think that I'm on the winning team, that actually sort of fits with your sermon this last Sunday. Mm. The, the Christian church isn't promised to be on the winning team. And so our optimism doesn't come from thinking that, oh, I'm on the winning team. The church is going to be victorious over culture per se in the, in the short term. Yeah. Uh, but we should be okay if in, even in our lifetimes, the church is not the winning team. <laughs> the culture yeah. seems to be very much against us. That, that shouldn't be uh, a depressing thing for us. Um, Certainly should, right now, if we're on what's, what looks like we're losing the culture war or something like that, which yeah. is, to be quite honest, happening right now in America. Mm-hmm. Um, our, if you want to use a sports analogy like I did in my sermon, it looks like we're, it looks like we're going to lose in America. And that's how it can feel a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But, of course, Scripture tells us who God is and tells us God is going to win. The church is going to be victorious and right. uh, live at rest in heaven. Um, and yet, um, we have hope. We have hope now. I I contrast those megachurch experiences, uh, evangelical experiences. I, I know I, I sort of rag on the megachurch a lot, and, and I think there's a lot of... 50 member churches that are trying to do the same kind kinds of things. And so maybe I I shouldn't um, just lump that into that category, but I would say um, seeker, seeker, light, light doctrine, um, uh, low emphasis on Catholicity or Christian history. Those types of churches um, seek a a certain kind of energy and and associate Mm -hmm. success with that kind of enthusiasm and emotional high. And I would contrast that with something that I recently saw in um, in our own church. And so there's a, a man who is uh, who is a widower, and he's grieving, and he misses his wife very much. But he has what the Apostle Peter calls an inexpressible and glorious joy. Does this mean that he is just got pep in his step and he's walking around and just happy to see everyone and he's just smiling all the time. No, he's not. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he has hope. He's He knows the Lord. And that's the ultimate message of this podcast is 
um, if you're seeking hope as a goal, um, if you're seeking a kind of emotional uplift, you may not find it hmm. in and of itself. And some people would say, I want that hope, and so God is going to be the means by which I get to that good feeling. Um, that's the wrong way to go. Totally. Uh, whereas as Reformed uh, pastors, Reformed Christians, we say, seek God, seek seek the Lord, know the resurrection. That's what exactly what the text of First Peter said. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So when you know the resurrection, and that's your goal is to be born again, uh, your, your desire is to die to yourself and be risen with Christ, hope comes from that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how I would describe so, some of the people in our church who, you know, they might not look like the most excited people, but they do have what I would say is that inexpressible and glorious joy, and somebody who's around that person would know this person is different, they're changed, they're not worldly, they have a confidence mm-hmm. that is spiritual. Yes, exactly. The, the confidence and the hope that we have comes from knowing God. And this is how this episode, I think, can connect back to episode 72 about theology, is that the Reformed yep. tradition's emphasis above all other emphases, its, its primary distinctive feature is that it is theocentric. It is God-centric. And not just that it is theocentric, but I think it's radically Mm -hmm. uh, God-centered. It's radically about uh, the doctrine of God. Um, You could ask somebody, what is Reformed theology? And they may tell you about various features or particulars of the Reformed tradition. Um, Some that might come to mind would be, for some people, the five solas Mm -hmm. or... Uh, tulip. would be a tulip, the five yep. points of, or the five doctrines of grace, so to speak. Uh, so predestination, um, total depravity, and so on. Um, mm-hmm. For others, you might hear them talk about covenant theology and how we read the scriptures in in um, in line or in a sort of linear way as we connect the covenants mm-hmm. throughout scripture, and that would be in opposition to dispensationalism particularly some people might just talk about how our church polity is designed uh, we have we're elder led and mm-hmm. we have elders and deacons and so on priesthood of all believers would be another factor yeah. there probably that yep. everyone is just called to owing to, know to the our Lord. right owing to our yeah. protestant roots and mm-hmm. that's that is a particularly reformed emphasis although luther is the one mm-hmm. who really picks that up in the reformation the reformed kind of run with it um and that's why you have the sort of Protestant work ethic, which is particularly emphasized in, in the Dutch uh, Calvinist world, uh, but elsewhere as well in the 17th century and following. But all these little things are, are part of the Reformed tradition, to be mm-hmm. sure. Um, however, the central feature of the Reformed tradition is its focus on on God and God's glory and enjoying God, on knowing God, and on living all of your life under the authority of God. Uh, and that is, I think, um, the, the biggest point that we could possibly make. I was telling Mark before we recorded this this episode um, how my seminary on the chapel, as you walk in, mm-hmm. there's the big question on, out, on the outer wall at Reformed Theological Orlando saying, how big is your God? Uh, how big is your God? That is, I think, uh, a good example of Reformed theology's yeah. centrality mm-hmm. on on God, 
uh, sort of a lot of our teaching in our systematic theology courses was on the doctrine of God proper. Uh, we, we did talk about other important things, of course, the doctrine of salvation, for example, mm-hmm. uh, the doctrine of the end times, things like that. But our central focus was on the doctrine of God. And I think it's our contention or our, our aim in this episode to show that when you know God, you have hope. Mm-hmm. And so, Among other things, yeah. 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 Well, um, it's so interesting that you describe Reformed theology in that way because it, it resonates with me so much on reading um, Calvin and Bavink. Uh, so basically the two, I would say, two of the, the great systematize, uh, sort of systematic theologians of Reformed history. And in both cases, and even in the case of something like the Heidelberg Catechism, you don't just open those and find tulip. You don't just open it and find the word covenant on every third page. Mm -hmm. Um, What you do find in Calvin and Bavink is an awe of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. That, like, people might be surprised by that because they might hear, Calvinism equals predestination. And and then so then they, they think they're going to open the institutes and see predestination on every page. That's only brought up really on a couple chapters of book three of the institutes. Right. It's not a but common what, feature of his thought. But what he wants to, to communicate is who is God? Who is God? That's where, he, that's where Calvin starts. Right. To know ourselves, we must know God. To know God, we must know ourselves. There's sort and, of that. And really, it's Bavink's beginning to the dogmatics as well. As all mm-hmm. so prolegomena is the beginning. It's like, how do we even know God? How, what is the nature of knowing God? And mm-hmm. and even in, in his book, it's not structured as, well, and right when we get done with that topic, then we'll just get into these five points of Calvinism, or then we'll just talk about covenant, or then we'll just talk about having elders in your church instead of being a bishop, right? Yeah. Like those those things come up along the way, like you said, but there is a uh, a God intoxication in, in these yeah. in this writing. That even informs the structure of it does. his reform dogmatics. Yeah. And yeah, and so volume two, God the Father essentially, volume three, God the Son, volume four, God the Holy Spirit basically is how that works. And that that's it's very much related to this topic of hope because um, great Reformed theology will will promote a knowledge of God that is doxological, that is calling you to a certain response. To praise. So I think that where Reformed theology so often goes wrong is just intellectualizing theology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cold it it does mm-hmm. it can be accused of that somberness and and lifelessness. Um, it has uh, you know it's it's the word coming to people, but not with power and deep conviction, as as Paul sort of said. I hope my word comes to you with with power and with deep conviction in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, great reformed teaching, which which I think Calvin and Bavink and others, many others give, is that um, it's not really setting out to just give you some theology or some five points, um, but it's setting out to call a person to worship and to live with this uh, petrine hope, you know, the, the mm-hmm. living hope of knowing the resurrection. Um, so that is where I, I hope people start to understand maybe a little bit more fully what being truly reformed means. Yeah. It's not just holding on to these these 
superficial doctrines is putting it too strongly. They are important doctrines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the are. five points are predestination important. is important. Yeah, and uh, and even some of the you know a, a reformed eschatology, a view of the end times, and all of those things do matter. But that's all built on the base, the foundation of the glory of God, yeah. and and from that base comes doctrines, but but also and just as importantly comes spiritual blessings like. Mm-hmm faith, hope, and love. So um, I, th- I think Reformed people could often be criticized rightly as separating the the identity of being Reformed from those blessings, and that's something that we want to correct with this episode. Yeah, uh, this was something for me that was really important to my way of thinking early on in my journey into mm. the Reformed world. Uh, I remember growing up, and I don't think it was something that was ever explicitly taught. Uh, most bad things that we pick up aren't explicitly taught. They're <laughs> sort of implicitly taught. Uh, was that the whole Christian life is about coming to Jesus for salvation, mm-hmm. being forgiven of your sin, so that at the end of your life, when you die, you will go to heaven and have a good a good eternity, Yeah, essentially. You'll that be happy. Was, yeah. That was the basic uh, understanding that I had as a young kid, a teenager. Um, and so when I read a book by John Piper, uh, I, it was called, the, it was called God is the gospel. It was the first book I had ever read by Piper. I didn't know at the time that I probably should have started with desiring God, his sort of flagship book, if you will. <laughs> uh, I just had this book, somebody had given it to me for free. And so I started reading it and he starts off the book in the introduction talking about, uh, heaven and he asks why we would desire to go to heaven. And so I'll just read this question that he gives in this little explanation because I think that this gets at the this focus on God that the Reformed tradition uh, really encapsulates. So he asks this, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this, if you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or natural disasters. Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? I can still remember highlighting this passage in this book, which I now no longer have. I've lost it. Uh, But I remember being so profoundly struck by this because it pointed out to me the flaw in my understanding of just about everything in my (laughs) Christian life. God was not the supreme joy of my life. God was not even the supreme joy of my being a Christian. God was merely a means to an end. God was my means to salvation, which I understood as being given eternity and saved from hell. There's truth to that, I think, but the the big point of salvation is actually that I would be with God, that I would have God always and forever. And so that final question, could you be satisfied with this kind of heaven if Christ were not there, radically reoriented my focus as a Christian towards the glory of Christ in all things. And seeing and loving and savoring Jesus, that's to use some of Piper's own language and Mm. other books of his, uh, that became the goal. That became the highest good. Mm -hmm. And I actually began began to, as I was reading scripture uh, with much more zeal, 
in those days began to pop off the page, this sort of love mm-hmm. for God's glory, the, mm-hmm. the centrality of God's own glory, even for himself, it being his highest desire to be glorified in all things. Um, and so that beast just began to capture my attention and my mind, and that became something of great joy. And so that's why to this day, one of the greatest statements I think of the Christian the Christian church throughout history is still Westminster Shorter Catechism. Mm-hmm. And question and answer one, uh, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him um, mm-hmm. forever. And so I think that that is just beautifully, beautifully put uh, that we are called and that God's glory is also to be our joy. It's not that mm-hmm. we just glorify God as r- sort of robots who do so. We just sort of resign ourselves to it, but that we find in God all that we ever want. Uh, that He becomes, as Psalm 73 says, our portion forever. Mm. Yeah. I I think if if I were to yeah summarize the the intent of this episode again, it's to say uh, the Reformed view of gaining hope is that the Christian or or any person for that matter is not really called to seek hope but the the reformed person will seek God and know Christ and be born again and that that person will live for God and from that comes hope it is it's a symptom or it's 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 an indirect blessing of knowing god and by knowing we don't just mean knowing facts about god we mean we mean uh having a heart knowledge of god having a desire for god having a desire to to experience and see the growth of the kingdom of god and and so we do want to recognize that that is different than what our hope or peace or um, other Christian blessings are presented to people in our culture, often by very well-meaning hmm. Christian authors or pastors or um, even denominations. So um, that is where where I get back to the Psalms, uh, who who hmm. the psalmist saying, you know, as the deer pants for for water, so my soul longs after you. That so he's he's seeking for God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Yeah. And um, because of that. He's hopeful. Um, it really helps the Bible, uh, the, the Bible reader to understand the Bible in general, I think, when you have a theocentric view. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your understanding of Christianity is gaining certain blessings like going to heaven and having happiness, essentially, today, mm-hmm. there are going to be a lot of pages of the Bible that make really no sense to you. Mm-hmm. Um, there, and actually... This is probably part of the reason that a lot of pastors and churches really make no use of the whole Bible because yeah. they they don't because First uh, Kings doesn't talk a lot about my hope <laughs> and, and my hopes and dreams and making me happy right now. Mm-hmm. It does talk a lot about the glory of God yeah. and um, how He desires to be glorified among particularly his people Israel in the book of books of First and Second Kings yeah, and so how redemptive history right and they're failing to bring Him glory and. And they're suffering because of that. Um, and so hmm. it makes sense of all of Scripture when you would approach it saying, I just want to know the Lord here. Um, even in something as as simple as an Easter Sunday worship service, if somebody goes to that service hoping for just that, that 
spiritual shot of espresso that's going to last me through the year or Christmas Day for that matter, mm-hmm. and they don't find that and they just don't feel that emotional high, though they might give up on Christianity altogether, mm. um, which I hope doesn't happen. But if they would go into an Easter service or even a funeral for that matter and say, I just want to know God. I want to hear his promises. I want to hear the name of Jesus. I want to to know how God's faithfulness worked out in this person's life at this that we're remembering at this funeral or for Easter Sunday. Oh, the resurrection is so amazing that God did that, that God would come into the world, die on the cross, mm-hmm. and and have this amazing solution for sin and death through the resurrection of Jesus. Well, all of a sudden, hope is absolutely going to be an automatic result of mm-hmm. that knowledge of God. That's why I think it's so important that, that you read from First Peter, that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it, it's something that God did and secured for us, and contemplating that thing that he did and secured for us, that's the way yeah. to this blessing instead of sort of seeking it more directly. Yeah, I think we seek God, who God, as the scriptures tell us, is the God of hope. That's what mm, Romans yeah. 15 tells us who God is. And I could read for that from that sure. in a second, but I think what's interesting we could say before, even before we read that is that hope, if hope comes from knowing God, who better knows God than himself? <laughs> so God is, God is perfectly hopeful. Um, not in the sense that he he hopes that things will happen according to his will. God knows that things yeah. will happen according to his will. But there is a measure of buoyancy to God, of, of joy, of happiness, of confidence, and even in himself. And so through knowing him, we too will abound in this hope. And so that's, that's what Paul says. It's sort of a, a benediction of sorts from the end or close to the end of Romans Uh, The second to last chapter, Paul writes, May the God of hope, interesting, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So by knowing God, Mm -hmm. the the hopefulness of God himself, I think you could say, is is a consequence of knowing him. And so in believing, when we believe God, when we believe not just in his existence, but we believe his promises, we believe his word, we will have hope. Uh, This hope, as Peter says, as we've already talked about, will come in the face of suffering. Mm. Um, Sometimes, even for the Christian, it will come when your life is taken from you. There are martyrs in the Christian faith. Martyrs, if they have anything, they have hope. And so we can face all things in this hope. This hope cannot be taken from us and this hope will help us. It will encourage us to get through. In fact, that's where Paul also then goes in Romans chapter 15. Mm. He talks about how reflecting on uh, the scriptures, the old Testament uh, gives encouragement to people, uh, to the, to the readers. And so in the same way we read all of the scripture today, in our context, and we are encouraged by it. We have this hope mm-hmm. that just as God has been faithful before, he will be faithful 
even now. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm sort of the one with the quotes, I guess, in this episode. But I, <laughs> Herman Bovink, for this reason, says the content of the new life that is the new Christian life is hope. The life of believers is totally sustained and guided by hope. Hope characterizes their whole lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so I could go on with that yeah. quote. There's more to it. But I think that those three sentences, or four sentences, three three sentences, <laughs> uh, really, I think, explain what we're getting at yeah. is that the, the whole uh, lifestyle we have is characterized by hope. So then the question that comes to my mind is, do people around you think of you as a hopeful mm. person. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very easy for Christians, especially Christians today, who many of us have been influenced in one way or another by a very pessimistic variety mm. of Christianity. Uh, and so we can often get sense that, oh, everything's just going wrong. We can be angry. We can be miserable. Uh, we can think that, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and this is just the worst thing ever. <laughs> Do we have hope? Yeah. Do people, do they notice the hope that you have? Peter also says that people should be asking us for the reasons, defense of why we have hope, mm. um, mm-hmm. for the hope that lies in you. Yeah. What, what, what hope do we have that is making people ask? Be prepared to give the reason for yeah. the hope you have. Yeah. And so he yeah. assumes that we're going to be having hope yeah. and that, that yeah. hope will be noticeable to others uh, and that it will be in some sense, appealing to others. Um, and so, yeah, again, it just goes to show the byproduct of knowing God, knowing the God who created all things, the God who sustains all things and upholds all things, and the God who will make all things new. If you know that God, yeah, you have every reason in the world for an eternal hope. Yeah, that's a really good point that you talk about where, it makes me think of that that word filters do you do you see what's happening in the american evangelical church right now through the filter of the culture war filter is or, or a political filter and say my hope is going to be based on overturning roe v wade or which i hope happens by the way but yeah. um that that can be the uh the filter through which people, their hope sort of relies yeah. is, oh, if, if that doesn't happen, I just, I just don't know how, how we'll go on. Or um, mm. the results of a certain election or um, something happening in a local school board or something like that. It, is your view of the world or even of God through that filter of that sort of political culture war filter? Or do you look at the world through the filter of scripture and all the promises that you see there and all your knowledge of God and say, it looks sometimes like things are a real mess, Mm -hmm. but, but God, you know, the two most important words of the Bible, but God, uh, you know, um, God can, can take a mess, can take a a dead body, can take um, just a a destitute people, can take the city of Nineveh and, Mm -hmm turn it around in, you know, a seven word sermon from Jonah. And so it's like um, Romans four with Abraham and he believes against hope. He hopes against hope that he's going to be able to give birth to a son through, through God's promise, Sarah will conceive. And from, from that son, a nation will come. His hope and his belief in that promise is what is counted righteous. 
Yeah. Anyways, I cut you off. No, no, you're, that's a perfect <laughs> example um, because Abraham's an example. He he looks at his situation through the right. filter of the word of God. And he says, I'm old, my wife's old, there's no yep. chance that life is going to come, but I hope right. in God. Yeah, and he could have done the opposite and said, I'm going to view God through the, the filter of my circumstances. Yeah. Which is exactly the, the opposite, essentially. And, and so... Getting into maybe a very practical application of this whole podcast is when you are feeling distraught or beaten down, what are you going to do? Maybe that's right now. What are you going to do when you we're done with this podcast? We are suggesting that what you should do is to desire to know God. Hmm. So in, instead of saying, I am feeling uh, depressed or sad, and so my my immediate desire is to be happy and mm-hmm. to do what makes me happy, which might actually not lead to that hap- that abiding happiness that you really need. Um, right. we're, we're suggesting that for the reformed person, um, in, a, in a moment of sadness or of grief, um, to open the word of God. And that that's why I think it's so important that we have a word-centric ministry because we go to people who are hurting or suffering, and you talk with young people who have all mm-hmm. kinds of big questions, and they're wondering if they should have hope as they look yeah. ahead at their life, you know, 60 years of living in a, a culture that's that's pretty much hates them, to be quite honest, and they're wondering, well, where can I have hope? Well, our job isn't to convince them that it's all going to be okay, mm-hmm. or it's all going to go in their favor eventually in in even in this world in a political or cultural sense but yeah. our job is to say hey look at these these three guys Shadrach Meshach and Abednego who who knew God and they trusted him so much they said you could throw us into the fire but I know God our God will save us because mm-hmm. they knew God and so um, I think that's yeah. that's really where the rubber meets the road in a lot of ways is to say do you know God and and if you're struggling are you going to seek the Lord? That's where um, you might not just feel better right away, to be honest, but mm-hmm. you will certainly grow in faith if mm-hmm. you believe what you find in the Bible in those situations. There's a Puritan who wrote about this named Richard Sibbs. He was one of the earliest Puritans in the late, he was born in the 1570s and he died um, in the, the early 17th century, which really puts him just at the, sort of the end of the beginning of the Reformation, pretty early Puritan. And he, he has this great quote where he says, um, if times are bad, God is good. He can alter all, he, meaning he can change anything. When there is no hope of escaping and no likely issue, God can make it good. Um, when there's, He's saying when there, it seems like all is lost. When you know God, you know all is not lost. Um, that's the theme of the Narnia series in a lot of ways and a lot of C.S. Lewis's work. When it seems like there's just nothing else that good that could come from it, uh, the Lord makes a way. Yeah. So th- that, I think, is, is a great place to, to begin. As, as you said, know God. If you want hope, if you are a hopeless person mm-hmm. and you fear the future, know God. And you can begin in no better place than by opening up his word. I might even suggest reading the book of Romans (laughs) (laughs) or Psalms. Yeah. Or the book of Psalms. Uh, There's, there's really no, no wrong place to start. Yeah. Uh, I I do think of Romans. I'm studying it with my adult and my youth groups. And so uh, I think of Romans chapter eight as sort of the, 
the highlight of of hope mm-hmm. in the Bible because it's our assurance in God's love for us that we cannot be separated from. But even before that passage, right at the end of chapter 8, I think the, the greatest statement of Paul, maybe if you can say that, mm. uh, is Romans chapter 8, verse 32, mm. when he says, If he who did not spare his own son but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? Mm-hmm. That is a very poetic way of saying if God gave us his son, he will give us all things. Not not riches. Sure, not n- everything not we worldly want. success, yeah. not yeah. the great Maserati or anything <laughs> like that. If he's given you everything needed spiritually in Christ, how will he not also give you or if he's given you him for your salvation mm-hmm. and basically for your justification, he will also with him give us all things needed for our sanctification. Mm. Uh, that's one way of reading that. God will will complete his work in Christ, which he has started in us. And so that is that is great hope as well, that God does not abandon us, he does not forsake us, but that he's given us Christ. And if he's given us the most important thing, his son, mm. then he will also give us all things needed. And so that has always been a great encouragement to me, uh, knowing that there will be nothing in my life that can separate me from God's love. He's already given Christ. He's not going to give Christ and then fail to come and and fulfill that which he has promised. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, again, abounding optimism, not because we're not realists. I think in this episode we've talked a lot about we're, we're honest about the sufferings that we face. We're honest about the trials that we will face in this life, uh, even persecution that we will face in this life. Mm. But the Christian way is by following Christ through all of it. And that means being meek. That means being humble. The Christian church may not have worldly success um, for a long, long, long time. Um, and so how do we... How do we continue on? Well, I've always loved the words of Tertullian, that the blood of martyrs is the seat of the church. He mm-hmm. says, go on, rack us, kill us, do what you want with us. Uh, the church will continue growing the, in proportion as you mow us down. Uh, that's my own sort of paraphrase of, of what he says. But uh, mm. the Christian is okay with struggle because of this hope. And I think that that is mm-hmm. a profound witness to the world uh, who is watching us. Yeah, that that's a great <clears throat> uh, concluding point, I think. Um, I know that every single person who ever listens to this will have mm-hmm. moments in life where we need hope. And so um, yeah. to seek God, uh, to, to worship him, um, that, and that doesn't necessarily mean worship him in the... Um, the evangelical church sense of of singing happy songs to him, <laughs> um, but to worship him by praying to him and worship him by reading his word, mm. and yes, by singing to him as well. And that is a good thing by hearing his word, and not mm. just on your own, but in in the context of a church. Each of those are ways of seeking him and worshiping him, and are are avenues uh, to God. But but consequently ways that we receive hope from God as we as we mm. seek him. So um, may this episode encourage you and maybe um, 
you bookmark it or however you do that, <laughs> um, recognizing that there could come a day where uh, you're going to need uplifting an uplifting message and just a reminder to seek God during what is perhaps a hopeless time. So yeah, so hopefully those are the we, best times in life, right, where we're we're pushed upon God. Yeah, by well, our struggles. Yeah, the the like Spurgeon said, "Blessed be the wave that." throws me on to the rock of ages um yeah, you know <laughs> and and so that's that's maybe easy for us to say because some people go through are going through a really hard time right now with uh, physical right. things yeah, we or don't relational things but uh seek the lord in the splendor of his holiness and uh, you will be blessed in that so thank you for listening to another rendition here of reform podmatics uh, we thank you for your feedback as well we've been getting some really encouraging feedback from friends yeah. of ours who are thanks, who are Brian. Yep, and thank you, Eric. Um, <laughs> and uh, we we hope that we continue to bless you in this really simple way. But uh, I think we're building a, a really neat community in a way hmm. of uh, yeah. of people who are just seeking the Lord, like we're encouraging. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, you guys. We'll see you next week. All right, bye.